Welcome to the Chi Alpha at UNC Chapel Hill podcast. This podcast is designed to help you grow through our three foundations, devoted disciples, deep friendships, and deliberate servants. We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Good to see everybody tonight. Um, thanks for coming out, even though it's a really busy midterm time. So if you've been with us these last couple weeks, which I think you guys have, um, we're in a teaching series right now about lordship, where we're talking about God's authority and what it means for us in our lives. And just a reminder for you guys in the room, as well as for anybody that might be listening on the podcast, we do put all of our teachings on the podcast. So if you want to catch up on anything, you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or there's also a link in our Instagram bio. And so far in the series, we've talked about what God's authority is. And last week, David talked to us about what's required of us if we're going to live under that authority. But there's one question that we haven't really answered about living under God's authority. And that's why. If making God Lord of our lives means deferring to his will instead of our own, and if it costs us something to follow Jesus, then what makes the cost worth it? Why choose to follow Jesus? Christians say all the time that the gospel is good news, but what makes it good? What does that mean? The Apostle Peter knew that this question would be important. He wrote a letter to Christians in the Roman Empire during a time of great suffering under Emperor Nero. And in it, in 1 Peter 3.15, he tells us to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. In other words, if you choose to follow Jesus, you need to know why. If you follow Jesus and you've never asked why it's worth it, uh, chances are when suffering comes, whether it's directly related to your faith or not, you will ask this question at some point. Or even if you yourself haven't asked it, people around you have. Most likely, people who don't follow Jesus aren't going to if those of us who do follow him can't give them a compelling reason why. So what makes the good news good? Well, the word gospel that we translate good news is interesting. We might associate gospel with things like salvation, Jesus dying on a cross, forgiveness of sins, God loving us, and all these things are true, but they miss the word's original meaning. Our English word is actually a translation of a Greek word, which in itself is a translation of two Hebrew words. And these Hebrew words were most often used to describe news of a royal nature, having to do with the reign of a king. This is why at the start of Jesus' ministry, his definition of gospel is about the kingdom of God. Jesus is announcing the coming of God's reign. God's authority or God's lordship, if you will. And he's calling that good news. To figure out why God's reign is a good thing, we have to go to the end of the story, to Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He, meaning Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. John, the author of Revelation, paints us a picture of what life will look like in the future, in heaven, as we say, when God's reign is complete. He tells us that God's story ends with new creation. God will create a new heaven and a new earth where God will live in harmony with humans, and humans will live in harmony with each other, and there will be no more suffering or sickness or death, and it will be like that forever. Now, Scripture tells us that those who choose to follow Jesus now will be the ones that get to live in that wonderful future reality. And for Christians... This is often what we picture when we think about why the gospel is good news, right? The goal, oftentimes, is to get to heaven, where we'll experience the life that Revelation 21 describes. And sometimes everything in our faith hinges on this future life hope. We focus on personal lordship and righteousness to prepare ourselves for this future reality. And when we share the gospel, We're often telling people about Jesus in the hope that they too will choose to follow him and get saved. And what we mean by that is that they get saved from this world, from hell or the opposite of Revelation 21 or whatever you want to call it, saved for some future new creation reality. And that is true. But what if the reason the gospel is good news isn't just about this future heaven? What if it's not just good news for the future, but what if our world here and now could experience some level of this restored new creation life? In his book, Surprised by Hope, theologian N.T. Wright challenges Christians to think about the hope of new creation in a new way not just for the future, but also for the here and now. Wright says that those who follow Jesus as Lord are, quote, a sign and a foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. And what's more, such people are not just to be a sign and a foretaste of that ultimate salvation. They are to be part of the means by which God makes this happen in both the present and the future. In other words, God's reign and all the new creation life that comes out of that isn't just for the future. God wants to bring God's reign and the life that comes with it into our world right now. And God started that with Jesus. If we look at Mark 1, verses 14 through 15, which say, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What's he talking about when he says good news? He's talking about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, having come to this location on earth right now. Or in Luke 17, when Jesus is asked when the kingdom of God will come, and his response is, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is here now in me, Jesus says. That's the gospel according to Jesus that God's reign and the life that comes with it is actually here now in our world. Of course, not in full, 
We do know that there is and will continue to be suffering and death and conflict in the world between now and when God's reign is complete, when we do get to experience Revelation 21. But God's reign has started already. Jesus inaugurated it. And with it, new creation life. Just look at the way that Jesus carries out his ministry. He didn't just announce, hey, heaven is coming, so you better get saved so you can experience it. He actually brought the new life of the kingdom into the world around him by what he did. Knowing what the full picture of God's new heaven and new earth will look like, he worked to make this world look as much like that new world as possible. When new creation comes, he knew there will be no more suffering. So Jesus worked to alleviate suffering in this world. He healed the sick and fed the hungry and cared for the oppressed and the marginalized. When new creation comes, people will live in harmony with other people. So Jesus taught his followers to forgive, to be humble, to seek another's good above their own. When Jesus come, or when new creation comes, Jesus knew that humans would have a restored relationship with God. So Jesus modeled what it looks like to have a relationship with God now, to pray, to rest, to have childlike dependence on God and submit to his will in everything we do. Jesus didn't just tell people that God's reign was coming. He showed them what it would be like. And because people saw and experienced the goodness of kingdom life in the things that Jesus did in their world, some believed his message and chose to follow him. And what started with Jesus continues with us. Because after he died and resurrected, Jesus gave those that follow him his mission, telling us to make disciples, to do as Jesus did in the world, and to teach others to do the same. And for this mission, Jesus gave us his spirit so that we would be empowered by God just as Jesus was, not only to announce that God's reign is here, but to bring the new creation life that comes with God's reign into our world now, just as he did. When Christians live under God's lordship, we're not just hoping that people believe us about Jesus and get saved for some future heaven. When we live under God's lordship, then by God's spirit, we are living in God's reign. By God's spirit, we are living new creation reality. And by God's spirit, God wants to work through us to bring that new creation reality into our world now. I love the way that N.T. Wright uses 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 to sum all of this up. 2 Corinthians is the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he started in Corinth. And like 1 Peter that we started off with tonight, 2 Corinthians also addresses suffering and teaches us, that those of us who follow Jesus, how to understand it and deal with it in the world. Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... If anyone submits to God's authority and chooses lordship, if there are any true Christians in the world, then the new creation has come. The old one is gone. The new is here. There's that theme again. God's reign has come, first in Jesus, now in those of us who live under God's lordship. And with God's reign comes new creation, not just for individuals being made new, but for God's broader vision of new creation for the whole cosmos. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's that reminder that Jesus gave his ministry to us. 
It's our job now through his spirit and by his spirit to do what he did. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I love that image too because what's an ambassador but someone who represents one kingdom in another kingdom? So we are representatives of God's kingdom in the kingdom of this world. We are living that life, the life of God's kingdom, among our world right now. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So if we follow Jesus as Lord, then we are Christ's ambassadors representation of Christ in our world, entrusted with the message and the ministry of reconciliation. But what does reconciliation look like? Well, I looked up the, de- the dictionary definition, and reconciliation means restoring to harmony or wholeness. So for reconciliation to be needed, once something that was once whole and harmonious in the world has been broken. And that idea takes me back to Genesis, where at the beginning of everything, God gives humanity one rule that represents God's lordship, God's reign, that God wants humanity to choose to live within. And humanity breaks the rule, right? Humanity chooses to live outside of God's lordship. They sin. And that's when everything gets broken. If you look at Genesis 3, where all of this happens, there's a few big things that get broken. There's actually a lot there, but I'm going to highlight three things here. The first is humanity's relationship with God. Before Adam and Eve broke the rule that God set, God was with them in the garden. And after, because of the shame that they feel from their choice, they hide from God when God comes to be with them. For the first time, they're not able to be with God in harmony. The second thing we see broken is people's relationship with other people. We see Adam blame Eve for what happened, and for the first time, their relationship is knocked out of harmony. And third, we see humanity's relationship with the physical creation, the earth and the things in it, broken. Before, Adam and Eve cared for the earth, and the earth provided food and beauty for them. And now, for the first time, the earth itself is cursed, and Adam and Eve have to work the earth for their sustenance, and the earth produces things that hurt humans as well as things that sustain us. And there's a lot more there in Genesis, like I said, but doesn't it make sense when we look at our suffering world today that things are broken? Humanity's relationship with God is broken, and people's relationship with other people is broken. And humanity's relationship with the earth is broken. And we see the evidence of that all around us. And we have good news. News of a king whose reign is coming to bring reconciliation to everything that's broken. But more than that, we have news that the good king's reign and the restored new creation life that comes with it has already begun through the ministry and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And we who choose to live under God's lordship live in the reign of the good king. We live the life of the kingdom here and now. And we are Christ's ambassadors. 
entrusted not only with the message that God will bring reconciliation to a broken world sometime in the future, but we are entrusted also with the ministry of bringing reconciliation to our world here and now. The gospel is good news, and living under God's authority is a good thing. Yes, when we look forward to a Revelation 21 future, but also especially when we take our job as Christ's ambassador seriously and we bring reconciliation to everything that is broken in our present world so that people will see and experience the goodness of life in God's kingdom through the things that we do in our world today. And some will choose to follow Jesus as Lord because they see how the gospel is good by the work of reconciliation that we do. And we do this work of reconciliation as a community. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.20 is the Chi Alpha verse. We want to be a community of Christ's ambassadors who live this message and ministry of reconciliation. And if you join us for our next teaching series, you'll hear exactly and specifically what that looks like for UNC Chi Alpha. But we carry this message and ministry of reconciliation also as individuals. We quote Ephesians 2.10 around here a lot. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What good works of reconciliation has God prepared for you to do? A lot of us may not know that answer yet, and it doesn't have to be something really big or vocational. For most of us, we'll probably bring new creation life to our immediate communities, to our families, to our towns, to ourselves even. We'll probably do the work of reconciliation in the things that we are doing every day. Forgiving a friend, choosing maybe to recycle and take care of the earth, creating something hopeful and beautiful like Chris did worship for us earlier so that we can enjoy the goodness of God, or even bringing food for our food drive to care for the vulnerable and the food insecure in our local community. You may not know what your big calling from God is at this point in your life, but God is inviting you to do some work of reconciliation where you are today. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about our ministry, visit us on the web at www.xa-unc.com.